morning. I tell you what, it sure is good to have our youth band up here playing for us this morning. Amen? Amen. I, man. I am so grateful, uh, Pastor Sean, for you and for the students and for the parents that support you guys. And uh, what a blessing it is to be able to, to know that uh, young hearts are uh, worshiping the Lord. And, uh, you know, it kind of reminds me of David. David with his harp, you know, worshiping the Lord. And uh, what a blessing that is. Well, this morning, uh, we return to a passage of Scripture that hopefully will give you a lot of hope and a lot of peace and a lot of joy. We're continuing our study uh, on the second coming of Christ, and there's an incredible passage uh, that's in Revelation chapter 20. That's where we'll be this morning, and it talks about the capture, confinement, and the eternal condemnation of the devil. And uh, I want to just ask a question this morning, and I guess you're going to show your age by responding to this question, but how many of you remember this line, the devil made me do it? You remember that? If you remember that, raise your hand. All right, some of y'all do remember that. And if you don't remember this, this was a line that was, I guess it was uh, popularized by Flip Wilson. And he was always getting himself into trouble, and his response would be that the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. So anyway, I just remember that line and, and it, it stuck with me. But I think a lot of people, a lot of people have that idea. And uh, of course, when, uh, when he said it, it was kind of said in jest. And, and I don't know whether he truly remembered or excuse me, he, whether he truly believed in the devil or not. But what I do know is that many people do not believe in a personal evil being who is the leader of the demons who is present in this world today and is actively working to thwart the purposes of God. They don't believe that a personal evil leader exists by the name of the devil. As a matter of fact, in 1995, there was a, a survey done, and it was in, uh, in Newsweek magazine, November the 13th, and, and about you know, belief in the devil and that sort of thing. And sociologist Robert Muthnow was trying to illustrate that there are certain levels of people that believe in the devil and certain levels that don't. And uh, his observation is probably a true observation in some ways and not true in others. But he made this statement. He said, look at the parking lot outside of any church. If you see Lexuses and Cadillacs, you won't hear Satan preached about inside. If you see a lot of pickup trucks, you will. <laughs> what is he trying to say? Is he trying to say that people with pickup trucks are the only ones that believe in devil and in the devil and that sort of thing? I think that's what he was trying to say. Or maybe it was an observation of some of the churches of his day. The reality is that the devil is a real creature and he is bent on the destruction of God's people. He also hates the heavenly father. And remember, it was his desire to ascend to the throne and have all the other creatures, all the other angels worship him. And so this morning, uh, we come to a passage of scripture that I think will be an encouragement to you, and it's in Revelation chapter 20, and it speaks about the ultimate end of that one that has created so much havoc in this world. And by the way, you know, this week, it seems like every week we find another reason and another thing that just says something is wrong in our world. 
I don't know if you feel like the clock that is that is the, the clock of the world is somehow ticking ticking off tune or ticking out of time or something like that but it just seems like there's another indication that things are not as they ought to be at least in my mind in my heart and uh, if we were to do a poll this morning and say do you think that the nation or do you think that the world is going in the right direction I hope all of us would say no way There's something wrong with this picture. Well, I can tell you what's wrong with it. It is the rebellion against God and the influence of an evil entity who we'll talk about today. So let's all stand together in honor of God's word and let's look at this passage together. Revelation chapter 20, beginning in verse number 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer." until the thousand years were ended. And after that, he must be released for a little while. Then if you'll skip on down to verse number 7. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Thank you for this word this morning that gives us some assurances and a picture of the defeat of our arch enemy. And Lord God, I pray this morning that you would help us to be wise and warned of of his presence and his intentions. And Lord, I pray this morning that we would be informed and encouraged And Lord, that we might have hope in spite of the way things might look on a day-to-day basis in our world. We thank you, O God, that you have got all of this in hand. And Lord God, that there is no fear and no emergency in heaven because you've got it all worked out. And so, Father, as your people, help us to live as salt and light in this world. And help us, O God, to live lives that point to you and seek to glorify you in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we look at this passage of Scripture this morning, I'm reminded again that many people, and indeed in 1995, it's probably a whole lot more now, but in 1995, Newsweek revealed that at least 25% of Americans believe that the devil is only a symbol of man's inhumanity to man. 
In other words, the devil is not a real entity, not a real person. He's not a personal being. And when I use the term personal being, I don't mean that he's intimate or close or anything like that. What I mean is that he actually is a person. He has the attributes of a person. He is his own being. Many people do not believe that. They believe that evil and that the devil is just a personification of the principle of evil. Those who follow Eastern religion many times believe that, that evil, either evil does not exist or that evil is just an equal and opposite force that is in opposition to the good. And many people believe that. I think probably in 1995, there were more people that actually believed in God than there are today. As a matter of fact, uh, statistics tell us less people believe in God today than ever before. And at least in America, and if that is the case, then presumably less people would believe that a personal devil exists as well. And as a matter of fact, the, the, the poll that was done in 1995 said that only the born again reveal a robust sense of the devil's presence. I think if you've truly been born again, born from above, then you will have an understanding that there is a personal evil being out there who seeks to destroy your life, who opposes the work of the church, who seeks to bring confusion and doubt into the minds of God's people and seeks to turn the world in a way that is in rebellion against God. The prevalent philosophy in modern materialistic society is that we can talk about the devil just as long as he is not thought of as an independent evil person. His value is symbolic and descriptive and speculative. But the reality is he is a real entity that has access to your life. He is geographically present at some point on the earth throughout the day. And because of that, we need to be very careful. Erwin Lutzer says that we need to remind ourselves that we need to take the devil seriously. In medieval days, they often pictured the devil as, uh, as a creature that had, uh, that, that, that had uh, a long tail, uh, cloven hoofed, and he was kind of a jester with two horns on his head and a red suit. I, I remember years ago uh, when I was a little kid, we'd go out trick-or-treating and sometimes you would see folks dressed up like the devil and they always had on a red suit and a, a, a weird-looking face that had a big grin and teeth and all that kind of stuff. And, and in the medieval days, they pictured him like that because they wanted people to think of the devil as a fool because he had rebelled against his creator. And... Uh, and then as you come along a little bit further along in time, Dante, who was an incredible writer, he, he, we probably wish that his theology had been a little bit better and he spent more time in the Word, but he was an incredible, uh, incredible writer. And, and he wrote and depicted the devil as a tormentor of those who live in hell. And so they kind of saw him as you know, a being that was consigned and is, was in a, a hell and he was down there to torture everybody. The reality is that I'm not sure that the devil uh, spends a whole lot of time in hell. I, I think probably, and when I speak of hell, I'm speaking of Hades now, the place of the wicked dead. 
But I do know that, that one day the devil will go to a place uh, called the abyss and that then from there he will end up in the lake of fire. But uh, he is free to roam about as he will. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us in the book of Job that the devil presents himself before God with the other angels. And the scripture says that God asked him, where have you been? And his response is, I've been going here and there all around the earth. And then, of course, you know the story of Job. He asked for permission to, to test Job, to, to torment Job. And God, God gives him that permission. But he has real effect in this world. And so as we look at this passage and look at the words of, this, of these scriptures, there's, there's four things that I want to bring out to you this morning that we can be encouraged by or we can be made aware of. Number one, in this passage where you see the devil uh, bound by a strong angel and consigned to the abyss for a thousand years, what this passage teaches us once again is it is consistent with the rest of the words of Scripture that there, this is a confirmation of the personal existence of the devil. You know, uh, the reality is that the Bible speaks oftentimes about a person called the devil, an evil being. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us in the New Testament that Jesus was speaking on occasion and he made the statement that he saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Now listen, you don't talk about a person, you wouldn't talk, excuse me, you don't talk about a principle or an idea as if they were a person if they weren't a person. And just while we're in the neighborhood, you know what? Jesus spoke about Adam and Eve as if they were real people. He believed that Adam and Eve were real people, not just symbolic. And Jesus certainly believed that Satan was a real person. Jesus also said on one occasion to his disciples as he was teaching them and guiding them and he was nearing the cross, he said, the prince of this world is coming, but he doesn't have power over me. Jesus spoke about Satan as a real entity. The Bible tells us that when he entered into the wilderness, Jesus in the wilderness to be tested, he was tested of Satan and Satan appeared to him. The Bible tells us that on one occasion, as Jesus was right there at the moment of his betrayal, the Bible says that Satan entered into Judas. From all indications, we understand that we have an infernal enemy who desires the destruction of our lives. This is what Christians who believe the Bible know to be true. Again, it's not very vogue in some circles to actually say that there's an actual being who lives with hatred in his heart and he seeks to defile and destroy humanity, but it is biblically taught. Take your Bible, if you will, and go to 1 Peter, just a moment. 1 Peter chapter 5, I want you to see this passage. 1 Peter chapter 5, the Apostle Peter now, he speaks and, and describes this entity, this devil, this person we know as Satan. He's called the dragon. He's the serpent of old. And Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, he says, be sober-minded. In other words, we want you to be discerning. 
We, we don't want you to be a, a, a you know, a, a person who everything is frivolous and, you know, fanciful and, and, you know, you don't want to be a Pollyanna, somebody that's not in touch with reality. He says, be sober-minded and be watchful. And then he, he personalizes it. He says, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You know, I get the idea that some people think it's important to attend church and make sure that their families are brought up in church because they think it's just the way to normalize or the way to improve their children or their families. I got to tell you something. That is a dangerous belief system. It's not just about helping people find good things because the problem is you can be good in this world and still be lost. And the point of Christianity is not to create a bunch of good people. The point of Christianity is to see people saved and and born again. And when you're born from above, it will transform your life. But some people inoculate themselves and their families against salvation because they think church is just about being good and learning how to be good. And they're just like those who would say, well, I'm a good person. God would never condemn me. Folks, i got to tell you something. Jesus spoke to one of the most good men in the New Testament. His, his name was Nicodemus on one occasion. And he told Nicodemus, Nicodemus, in order for you to see the kingdom of God, you must be born from above. Now, Nicodemus knew how to be good. But the birth that comes from above, the birth that is of God, is of God and not of the will of man. And therefore, it's important for us to to, to understand that when we speak about being watchful and being sober-minded, and we understand the words of Peter that there is an enemy and he seeks our destruction, it's important for us to know that there is someone behind the strings seeking to do harm to your life. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, that we should not be outwitted by Satan, that he is truly trying to wreak havoc in our lives. It's interesting, as you look at this passage of Scripture, notice that the Bible tells us in in, uh, Revelation chapter 20, uh, John says, I saw an angel coming down from heaven. Now there's a geographical description there. Because John says, I saw an angel coming down from heaven. Where was the angel coming to? He was coming to the earth. He was coming out of heaven and coming down to earth. You know, the Bible says that Satan was cast out of heaven and cast down to the earth. And now he's called the prince of the power of the air, which means that his realm is in this world. Albeit he's a spiritual creature, but his realm is around this material, physical world. And so he's geographically present. I don't know where he is right now. He could be right here. I don't know. Although I know this, I know that wherever two or more are gathered in the name of the Lord, He is there in their midst. So I have a feeling that God's angels are with us right now. I think God is here, and I think Satan is gone. 
I've heard a lot of funny jokes about Satan being in the pew, and I'm not even going to try to tell the joke right now. But um, I, I don't know. I wish I could remember the punchline, but you know me. <laughs> Wait a minute. Why did you? Yeah, you're right, though. I know some others that'll agree. <laughs> I get the punchline mixed up. But the bottom line is, and I'm just trying to impress this upon you, and I, I want to do it with a smile, but I also want to do it with a serious nature. When you look at the brutality of people today, when you look at the evil agendas, when I look and, and I see governments, local governments, national governments, governments, state, mandating, mandating things that will scar children for the rest of their lives. When, when I see things that happened this past week with babies burned alive and beheaded, I, I understand when it's time to go to war, but I'm telling you there's something demonic about those things. I think there's something demonic about any religion that promises 72 virgins to those who will commit themselves to jihad and will die in battle against those who don't follow their God. I think there's something terribly wrong about people, and I think that the agent, the provocateur, the one that incites people to such barbarism must be an evil creature that works in the hearts and minds of people. And I think he's got his legion of angels or demons, fallen angels, demons, to help him in that matter. He's real. And folks, if we don't heed the admonition of the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul and those admonitions in the scripture, then we are ripe for danger. And I'll tell you something else, just while we're in this neighborhood, if, if you begin, if, if you can read the Bible and you doubt the reality of an evil person known as Satan, then what's to stop you from doubting the reality of the creator God? The creation itself is plain evidence that He exists and that He made us, but, but He's invisible. He's God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. Now, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, He took on human flesh into this very day. He's in glory right now at the right hand of the Father in His resurrection body. And we have the presence of the Holy Spirit. But if I don't believe in a spiritual realm where an evil entity known as the devil exists, then guess what? I probably won't even believe in God. Matter of fact, I might believe in God, but I might begin to say, well, yeah, I believe there's a God, but I'm not sure about everything written here in the Bible. And then if I don't believe what's written in the Bible at this part, well, who's to say this other part's not true? As believers, as Christians, as disciples of Christ, just like Jesus, we believe the Bible is the Word of God. Jesus oftentimes quoted the Old Testament as the Word of God. And the New Testament, it is spoken of as the Word of God. 
And so as you look at this passage of Scripture, just moving along here, this person that's described here, uh, notice the names that it gives him. He's called the dragon. And this title, you, he's referred to as the dragon 12 times in the book of Revelation. Uh, the, the name dragon here, it emphasizes the brutal, bestial nature, the ferociousness of this being and his oppressive cruelty. You know, the Bible also declares in the New Testament that the devil himself appears as an angel of light. We have a lot of depictions of the devil as some, you know, horrible looking uh, 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 creature. But, but when he appears, the Bible says he appears as an angel of light. Um, the Bible also describes him as the serpent of old in this passage of Scripture, and that is a reference back to the Garden of Eden. He's that serpent that tempted Eve, that tempted Adam. It refers to him as devil, and the word devil is diabolus. It means slanderer. It means malicious gossip. Uh, it, it, it's a, an appropriate title for the one called the accuser of the brethren. And he is, he is a malignant liar. He is called the father of lies in John 8, 44. So again, you have a person who has some attributes that are defined in, in very unflattering terms, in my opinion. He's also called Satan. And this word, it means adversary. He opposes God, Christ, and all believers. So, so what's the application here? What is the application? I mean, okay, so he exists, so what does that mean? Well, we follow the example and we follow the advice of Peter. You just read it. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. So watch out. He's at work. He's at work in this world through philosophies. He's at work in this world through people, through organizations. He does the bidding that... He seeks and he seeks others to do his bidding that is opposed to the purposes of God. And then in Ephesians chapter 6, you might want to jot this down, but in Ephesians chapter 6, we learn that we can protect ourselves from his influence by robing ourselves in the armor of God. And very simply put, Ephesians 6 verses 12 through 13 reminds us that the way to protect yourself from the enemy is to live a righteous life, Tell the truth, um, you know, and, and, and put on the, the, uh, the, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, take up the shield of faith, uh, carry and use the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, uh, put on the shoes of the gospel of peace, be ready to share. In other words, live the kind of salt and light life that God calls you to. And Satan will not have avenue in to destroy your life. You know, I don't know that I have ever, ever run across anybody that's been possessed. But I want to tell you a story that happened many years ago. And I think maybe this was an instance where I was in the presence of what I might call pure evil. True story. It was sometime in the, in the late 90s. It might have been... It might have been well, I'm sorry, it might have been in uh, the early, no, it would have been in the, in the 1990s. Let me think, when did I graduate from seminary? Oh, I graduated from seminary in 1995. I have to remind myself. Okay. Yeah, we got married in 93. So we celebrate 30 years of marriage this, this year, so that's exciting. It is this year, isn't it? Okay, good, I got that right. 
I'm not good with numbers. If you give me a number, I'll forget it probably, you know, in 10 minutes. But anyway, at that time, I was in seminary, and I was working as a security guard. And, and it was a great job. I, it was a, a company that manufactured boat trailers. And you might think, wow, that's kind of weird. But no, it was great. And there were a lot of seminary guys that were studying to be in ministry, and we were working there because I could work there the third shift, and I would go in. I'd, I'd go to school during the day. I'd go into work. I'd, you know, I would make sure that if somebody was coming in the gate, they were picking up product or whatever, I'd check them in, check them out. And then we had all these different buildings on the property where there were different aspects of building boat trailers. And so I would make the circle all around, you know, three or four times a night and check in, make sure nobody was in there trying to mess with stuff. And, and it was just, it was a great place for me to worship the Lord, but it was also a great place for me to... Uh, uh, to, to, to just, you know, just be able to do homework and things like that. And they didn't care as long as, you know, you kept the place safe. So anyway, I would get off early in the morning, and it, it was probably about between, I think it was around 7 o'clock that the next shift started, and the morning guy came in. And so I would drive from the area where I was working to back to Fort Worth, Fort Worth where I lived, and that was probably about a 20 or 30-minute drive. And so on this one particular occasion as I was driving home, I don't know what came over me if I was just stupid because I didn't sleep all night or something. But there was a guy standing on the road that looked like he had some need. And so I decided I would pull over and give him a ride. Now, I would never do this now unless I knew somebody because of what I know now. But I pulled over and rolled the window down and said, hey, you need a ride? And he kind of grunted at me, and I opened the door. He got in. We're going down the road, and he's not looking real good. I mean, he's looking kind of rough, you know. I don't know what all was going on with him. But anyway, I spoke to him a little bit, and, uh, and, and he never really would talk to me. He just kind of grunted at me. And I said something to him about, you know, who I was and what I was doing, and I wanted to encourage him, and I wanted to talk to him about the Lord, and he kind of looked at me and grunted, and he, he held a fist up to me. And I'm sitting, he's about this close to me now, and he holds this fist up to me, and his fist is tattooed with some obscene letters on it. He was saying something very obscene to me. You probably have an idea what it was. And and then he, he spoke to me in a language I did not understand. I didn't understand it. I, looking back on it now, I think he was speaking to me in pig Latin, which is when people say things backwards. And, and you know, I'm just riding down the road, and I'm kind of, I'm young, and I'm not really paying much attention, so I'm not really, I'm not, it's not phasing me any. I mean, you know, I, I was... I guess the Lord was with me or I was just dumb or something. But anyway, I said, okay, so I'll just quit talking to him and I'm driving down the road. And we were getting ready to get to the place to where he said he wanted me to go and I asked him, where do you want me to drop you off? And he, he pointed his finger at this place. And before he got out, of the, got out of the car, I had a little Gideon Bible. And I pulled the Gideon Bible up like this and I said, hey, I want to give this to you. And when the reason I think that maybe this guy was possessed is because when I put the Bible out like that, this guy literally jumped from where he was into the door. And again, I don't know, but something was terribly wrong with that man. 
I have never been afraid, so to speak, of demons or the devil. But I do have a little bit of concern about people that might be possessed. And if I read the pages of Scripture correctly, then I know that can be a reality. I know He's there, but I also know my Heavenly Father is there. And I also know that my Heavenly Father will protect me. Jesus said, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body, but be afraid of Him who can kill the body and consign the soul to hell. So I trust in the Lord. I know that He's with me. And so, okay, the devil exists. What does that mean for me personally? It means I need to resist him, as Peter says. It means I don't need to fear him, but I do need to resist him, and I need to fear God. There's a second truth I want you to see in this passage. Number one, first of all, this passage affirms for us the personal nature or the personal existence of the devil. But secondly, there's a celebration in this passage because it's a celebration that God is supreme, and God is all-powerful, and God is the one who defeats the enemy in the end and we are protected by the heavenly father and because of that our victory is in him and we are assured but notice what it says it says the angel was coming down from heaven and this is a powerful angel of course and notice it says holding in his hand he has a key to the bottomless pit and a great chain Now, let me just say a couple of things about this. This angel is not named. We don't know who the angel is, but the Bible does tell us that Michael, the archangel, is the enemy and the adversary of Satan. So it's possible it's Michael. We don't know. And there's really no reason to to, to really get all twisted about this, but this angel is mighty and this angel is powerful. Secondly, I want you to notice something else. This angel has a chain that is great. And this chain, it is the fact that the chain is great tells us something about the power of the devil, Satan, the deceiver. He is powerful. And then it says that the angel has a key to the abyss. That word that is abyss is sometimes translated as the, the bottomless pit. It appears seven times in Revelation, and what's interesting about it is that this is a place of temporary incarceration for certain demons that are awaiting the final judgment. Uh, You you know, the reality is that in the spiritual realm right now, there are, there are, I believe there are two compartments and, and, and well, not just two, but we might say three. There's the place of Hades, which is the abode of the wicked dead. It's referred to as hell. And then there's a place that we think of as heaven. In the Bible, it's described as Abraham's bosom. Um, but it, it's heaven. It's what we would call heaven. So when a believer dies, their spirit goes to, the, goes to heaven. It goes to be with the Lord, to be absent from the body, present with the Lord. But this indicates another place, another reality. Um, it, it has some different names, but it's described here as the abyss, and it is a place where some very wicked demons are locked until the final day of judgment. Take your Bible, if you will, and go to 1 Peter chapter 3. I want you to see this. 1 Peter chapter 3. It's an interesting description here of this reality. First Peter chapter 3, verse number 19. 
Let me read it to you. Oh, not Second Peter. If you go to Second Peter chapter three, there's only eighteen verses. Okay, but we're in First Peter. First Peter chapter three, verse number nineteen. Well, let me start in verse in, in verse number eighteen. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah." while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. A number of commentators believe that this prison that Jesus went to and preached to was the prison where these these demonic spirits were held because of their wickedness, and he proclaimed his victory there. Now, there's another reference that we might think of, and let's take a look at the book of Genesis. Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 6. I want you to see this, because this describes for us uh, the inhabitants of the abyss right now. And, And it gives a reference that many people believe refers to these uh, wicked, like overtly wicked demons, okay? Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 1. It says in Genesis 6, verse 1, When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came in to the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. So many commentators, including John MacArthur and others, believe that this is an example of demonic spirits that either somehow angels that left their first abode, they rebelled against God, and somehow they came to earth and they had relations with women, and the offspring of that were were these mighty men called the Nephilim. Some commentators, like Erwin Lutzer and others, believe that these, uh, these are the, uh, the sons of Seth, the godly line of, of, uh, of, uh, of you know, the godly line. The, the problem is that when you look at this, you would ask the question, why would the godly line of Seth, who married the daughters of men, why would it produce such corrupt beings? Well, that's a good question. And for that reason and others, people believe that somehow these are the angels that are spoken of in the book of Jude that it says that these angels left their first estate and because of that, now they have been imprisoned until the final judgment. So this, this would be the place now where there are some really bad, bad, bad creatures. As a matter of fact, let's look at the book of Jude, Jude 6, just a moment. I hope that you're not falling asleep yet. We're, we're going to get there. 
Jude chapter 6. Look at this. And by the way, not chapter, but verse 6. There's only one chapter in the book of Jude. So if you, go, if you try to go to Jude chapter 2, you're in trouble, okay? Jude chapter 6. I mean, I said it. Jude 6. Excuse me. Forgive me. I say, what is wrong with that guy? I can tell you what's wrong with me. It's been a long weekend. All right. Look at Jude 6. And, um, well, let's look at verse number 5. Jude 5. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Verse 6, And the angels who did not stay within their own positions of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So because of these passages, the Many believe, many believe that these are the demons that are presently imprisoned in that place. And one day they will leave that place and they will end up in the lake of fire. So this is a, a real place. It's got a geographical location. I don't think any of us can get to it. But notice that the Bible says that the angel had the key and he seals the devil in that place for a period of a thousand years. Now, I want to just share with you briefly, you know, some people, they they kind of don't think about the fact that, uh, that Satan is working in the world today, but he is. And I want to remind you of something else, that no matter what Satan does, God can turn the corner. Think about this for just a moment. The Apostle Paul, he had a thorn in the flesh that he called a messenger of Satan. And God allowed it. But God used that thorn in the flesh to keep the Apostle Paul from being prideful. And it kept him humble. I want to remind you that God used those men in, in, uh, in, uh, in Babylon that, that tormented Daniel, a righteous man, those men that accused him of not being loyal to the king, those men who were devils, those messengers of Satan, if you will, they accused him and he got thrown into a lion's den. But God used that moment to reveal his power and his glory. And I just want to tell you something, beloved. If you're in a place where you feel like you're being tormented, remember that God can use it for his glory and for your good. I want you to think about this for just a moment. There was a, a man who was a wicked man. He was a giant. He was 10 feet tall. His name was Goliath. He was of the Philistines. And the scripture tells us there were Nephilim before the flood and there were Nephilim after the flood. But the Bible says Goliath, who was a Nephilim, a giant in Philistia, that he was a, a messenger of Satan to the people of Israel and he came against David and little David defeated him and God proved his power again over the forces of darkness. I want you to think about this demonic figure inspired by Satan to destroy the people of Israel. His name was Haman and there in Persia he was the enemy of Esther and Mordecai and he planned to destroy the entire Jewish people in the land of Persia. But the scripture tells us that Haman died on the gallows that he prepared to destroy the Jewish people on. God can take the enemy and he can bring good out of it. Pharaoh. Pharaoh was inspired by Satan to destroy the people of God. And yet the scripture tells us that God raised up Pharaoh so that he might reveal his power 
over the pagan gods and the pagan nations. Folks, I got to tell you something. Satan is real and he's working, but God is protecting and God is using. And this passage gives us the truth that God has destroyed and God will destroy ultimately those that perpetrate evil and do evil in the name of the enemy. I got to wrap this message up today because we've just gone way too long, but let me just encourage you to be aware, to be sober, and to understand that God has allowed evil to work in this world, but ultimately He gets the victory. And you have the victory too if you're in Jesus Christ. I think that we should not be fearful, but we should resist the enemy, and we should do our best to resist the pull and the philosophy that the enemy would bring to our lives that would bring destruction and terrible outcomes for those who follow his way. Well, we're going to wrap it up there, and I'm going to ask our praise band to come on out and, and lead us in this last hymn of, uh, or this last song of worship. And this morning, uh, as they're coming to play, I know that we've, you know, I love to teach the Bible, and sometimes I get kind of, I get a little into the weeds sometimes, I guess. I like the nuances of God's Word. And I know sometimes it's hard to follow, but I just want to say to you this morning, be sure that you've accepted Christ because He is your protector and your deliverer. And in a world like we live in today, boy, without Him, we are in deep trouble. Let's stand together. Let's bow our heads in prayer and and let's worship the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord God, help us to understand our relationship to you. Lord, if we've not been born again, Father, help us to understand that. And Lord, we just pray for your mercy and grace that might call us to decision. And Lord God, call us to faithfulness for you. Now, Lord, bless your people. Guide and direct us, and Lord, help us to live our lives in such a way that we have confidence in your guidance and your protection. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.